0: What well, it certainly is good to be together, amen, amen. Well, we're going to be this morning jumping around to a number of passages at the very beginning of this morning's message, and so if you want to try and play um, that sort of, what do they, they call that in Sunday school, where you're like racing to find the Bible passage first, I forget what they call that, what do they call that? Sword, fi- sword drill, sword drill, right? Isn't that what they call it? Anyways, you can do that. We're going to start in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. But if you don't, you can just listen to me read uh, the text this morning. As a child growing up, we ate home-cooked meals together most nights of the week. I've learned since then that this is actually a unique thing that was going on in our family. But it was part of our family tradition at the beginning of every meal that we would have a mealtime prayer. And that prayer would bounce around or be given by my mother, my father, or one of us three boys. And it just kind of was roulette. And I remember one time, one evening before dinner, uh, my father was praying. And he prayed probably the most famous prayer in Kaluza family history is the prayer started out as normal as a mealtime prayer often starts out you know like god thank you for your provision thank you for our family thanks for this food and my dad got to that moment i don't know if you've ever been there in prayer where you've kind of run through all of the things that you're going to pray for but you don't know how to like finish the prayer like you don't know how to wrap the prayer up necessarily because you're saying like god thanks for food amen it just feels so abrupt right so my dad was at that moment in that sort of prayer trying to figure out how he was going to land the plane of the prayer, and he landed it this way. <laughs> he said, Lord, thank you for our food, and, and Lord, just let us have fun with you. And, all, and suddenly, all of the eyes opened up around the kitchen table, and our lips were trying to pinched tight so that we're holding in the laughter that we were trying, that we wanted to like really express, right? And Lord, let us have fun with you. And it only lasted for about three seconds and everybody burst out into laughter and we had a good, good laugh about it. We still laugh about it from time to time, but that prayer that my dad prayed, it's one that we always give him a hard time about. Lord, thank you for your food and uh, let us have fun with you, Lord. Whatever that means, let us have fun with you, We're starting a teaching series this morning on prayer, and one of the things that I just want to say up front is that prayer can be an intimidating thing for all sorts of reasons. Perhaps we don't know the words that we should say. Perhaps we don't know how to land the plane at the end of our prayers, but as we begin to explore what it looks like to develop a praying life, both as individuals and as a church. I want to share some wisdom that I received from, from reading uh, Abbot John Chapman on, about prayer. And Abbot John Chapman says this. He says, you ought to pray as you can, not as you can't. Pray as you can, not as you can't. And as we jump into this teaching series, one of the things that I want you to grab hold of from the get-go is that as we explore what it looks like to be a praying people, I never want you to feel like, This is out of reach for you because the invitation for us as a people of God is to simply pray as we can, not feel like we have to pray like these masterful prayers as many of us cannot. And so I want you to hold that with you as we begin this series. One of the things though that would jump out to you in the life of Jesus is that prayer was very important to Jesus. It wasn't just something that he talked about. It wasn't just something that he did. Prayer was actually an important practice in the life of Jesus. And I want to sort of rush through just a handful of examples this morning of how we can see this in Jesus' life. And we're going to start with Mark chapter one. We'll read verses 35 through 39. Mark's gospel reads this way. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, whew, that's early, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions were, went to look for him and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Let's turn on over to Mark chapter six, verses 41 through 46. This is right after Jesus feeds the 5,000. The text reads this way. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately... Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Let's jump on over to Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. Text reads this way. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. Something about mountainsides and prayer, apparently, in the life of Jesus. And he spent the night Praying to God. That is a lot of hours praying. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Interesting in this moment, the big decisions that Jesus makes in his life, choosing the 12, he does before he makes that decision, he prays all night. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the zealot, Judas, son of James, and the infamous Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Turn on over to Mark or Luke chapter 9. We're going to read verses 28 through 36. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. And he was praying. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter, said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. Of course, Peter doesn't. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had Scene, last passage, let's learn, read from Luke chapter 11, just one verse here. Luke 11:1 reads this way: "One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, "Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray." Well, these are only some of the scriptures that give us an insight into what Jesus's life of prayer looked like, they are enough for us to see that prayer was a centering practice for Jesus. That prayer was a centering practice, a foundational practice in the life of Jesus. You see, in the text we see, we can identify that Jesus was a super busy guy. There were crowds of people who wanted to hear him teach and speak. There were crowds of people who gathered around him that they might heal him. It was an unrelenting ministry that Jesus was a part of. And yet, in the midst of the hustle and bustle of his life, Jesus found moments to pray. It was a part of his weekly routine. It was, in fact, part of his daily routine. He would wake up early sometimes. He would stay up all night sometimes. He would withdraw from his work. He would withdraw from his disciples. He would be in solitary places to pray. He often would pray with his disciples sometimes. He would pray with those that he was doing ministry with. We might say that Jesus' life of prayer was just woven into the fabric of his life. And one of the things that the disciples identify that's unique about Jesus is his life of prayer So much so that disciples come to him and say, hey, we want to be able to do that thing that you're doing because my prayer life doesn't look like that. But one of the things that we see in the gospel stories as well is it doesn't seem that Jesus loathed praying. It doesn't seem to me, at least when I read the text, that Jesus like gritted his teeth and just kind of looked as prayer as that sort of religious checkbox thing that you gotta do so that you can get the religious guilt off your back. Whew, I prayed today. Is it in fact seems like Jesus actually enjoyed prayer? One of the things that I would even suggest is that the reason why Jesus carves out so much time to pray is because he actually enjoyed prayer. And let me ask you one simple question this morning. Is that how your prayer life might be described if you were talking about it with all of us. That is, when you think about your life of prayer is the first thing that comes to mind, like, man, I enjoy and love prayer. Or let me ask you this question. How many of you feel, if we're gonna take a poll of Ventura or Powerhouse Church of the Nazarene, if we're gonna take a poll this morning of how many of you feel like you're absolutely crushing it when it comes to prayer, how many of you would answer in the affirmative? Like you'd be able to tell me like I am just rocking prayer over the past several years of my life. I feel like it is so enjoyable. I love it. I wake up every morning at 5 a.m. I need not set an alarm because I look forward to prayer so much. Like a child looking forward to Christmas on Christmas Eve. I look forward to prayer every single day. And I wake up and I'm alert. And I make my coffee. and I go sit down and I'm completely awake. And my prayers just flow because I am crushing it when it comes to prayer. I don't run out of things to pray about. My mind doesn't wander when I'm praying about what I need to be thinking about for the rest of my day. I'm just absolutely crushing it when it comes to prayer. How many of you would describe your prayer life that way? It's quiet in here. (laughs) Alternatively, how many of you find yourself along with the disciples with this simple request? Lord, teach us to pray. I have no idea what I'm doing. You see, for most of us, if we're being honest, and myself included, I don't want to set myself on a pedestal over here with Jesus, for most of us, myself included, prayer frankly feels very boring. It kind of feels a lot of the time like a bit of a drag, like, oh, I got to go pray now, right? Right? And when you finally make time for prayer, you're like, all right, I'm gonna pray for everything. And you run through that whole list of things that you've been thinking about. And two minutes later, you're like, what am I supposed to pray about now? I just offered all my requests in like 30 seconds. What do I do now? And, And you might even try to like pray for several days in a row. And that third or fourth day, you're like, I'm just doing the same thing that I did like yesterday and nothing happened because of yesterday. Why am I continuing to do this today? For some of us, when we sit down and pray, we find that we're like sort of inattentive to our prayers. We begin to sort of pray and then we begin to think about the to-do list that we're supposed to have for the rest of the day. We, we so, sort of like get ourselves back into the mindset of prayer and like, man, is it going to be cold today? Should I wear pants? Should I wear shorts? Do I need a sweater? And you begin, your mind just begins to wander to all sorts of places and eventually, especially if you have your smartphone like sitting near you, right, because you just need to check the time to make sure that you're done with prayer at an appropriate time, is that you find like kind of give up at some point, right? Like, ah, I'm just going to get on Instagram. Instagram. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, see what's going on for the day because this prayer thing just isn't working out for me. And I imagine, like me, many of you already know that prayer was really important to Jesus, that it was centering for his life. You may even know that prayer is the most fundamental discipline for the disciples of Jesus. And yet, like me, I imagine many of you feel like you still have so much to learn about prayer, so much room to grow in prayer, Because there's a truth about prayer, is that prayer is very difficult work. Prayer is very difficult work. The request the disciples brought to Jesus is an honest admission that even those closest to Jesus needed some help when it came to prayer. They're literally walking around with the Son of God for years, and they have no clue how to pray. How many of us have been in church for decades and we still don't know how to pray. If that describes you, know that you are in good company. Because learning to pray is very difficult work. And it takes years and years and years to do. Pastor Ruth Haley Barton writes this way. She says, one thing I know for sure about prayer these days is that we do not know how to pray. It is only the young in Christ who think they know how to pray. The rest of us know we are just beginners. Beginners. And I hope that our series on prayer this morning is a place for all of us to begin praying together, both as a church and as individual people. Like my son Levi, who is ever growing and ever beginning to grow in his ability to talk to us, so too are we little children of God learning to talk with him, our Father. And though learning to pray can be difficult at times, it is the most, let me say this, worthwhile pursuit in the Christian life. It's not going to worship services. Oh, that's important. Come back every Sunday. You need to come back. Come on, let's do it, right? But learning to pray might be the most worthwhile pursuit of your entire life. There are any number of definitions of prayer that you might find by reading articles, books, et cetera, et cetera. Talking to God, right, is one of the most common given to new Christians. Like just prayer is just talking to God. But I want to humbly submit, and I do humbly submit because there are some great spiritual directors and leaders in the church and throughout history, but I want to offer my own definition of prayer to you this morning. Prayer, for me, as definitionally, is communion with God. Communion with God. It is not simply talking to God. It is the ability to be with God in relationship intentionally. It is communion with God. Sometimes that looks like talking. Sometimes that looks like silence. Sometimes it looks like listening, but all of that is prayer. And the goal of prayer is not to be able to talk for a really long time to God, right? Like sometimes you hear the preacher and he, he prays for like 15 minutes. Everyone's opening their eyes, looking around like, dude, wrap it up. You probably do that with me sometimes, right? My wife told me that a couple weeks ago. She's like, you got to chill on the prayer. So, right, it, it, but sometimes our perception is that is that that's what it looks like to have, to be a good prayer, right? But the goal of prayer is not to talk long. The goal of prayer is not to accomplish or to have God accomplish all that you want him to accomplish in the world. Like, God, here's my list of things that I want you to do. Like, here's my wish list. Can you just like knock these things out and I'll feel really great about my prayer life because you're listening to me. You see, the goal of prayer is intimacy with God. The goal of prayer is intimacy with God. And intimacy with God is not just nurtured through our constant talking. If you're married or if you've ever been in a relationship, you know that intimacy, if that person's just like, na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na, they never give space for you to speak back, right? It's hard to cultivate intimacy there. I remember when Paige and I first started dating, we, perhaps like many of you, we talked a lot We texted constantly, right, throughout the day. That was one of the primary forms of communicating. But we were always communicating what did you do today? You'll never believe what happened to me. We would even FaceTime our dinners together, which always ended up in a fight because we couldn't quite sort of logistically get both of our dinners planned at the same time. I was living in Santa Barbara, and she was finishing up her undergrad at in Azusa, and we tried to like have dinner together by FaceTiming while we ate our separate meals together. But we're constantly in communication, and in those early weeks and months of dating, you just talk constantly, and even when the conversation sort of dies out, you try to sort spark it again by asking the most obnoxious dating question ever. What are you thinking about, right? Because you want the words to continue to flow. But eventually over time, Paige and I felt relieved really of the pressure to talk constantly all of the time. And you have those moments where you just sit in the car for a drive together in absolute silence. Or you have that ability to sit in a room together. And just be together without saying anything, but feel connected to one another. Now in our marriage, it doesn't even take much more than eye contact for me to pick up on things that Paige is thinking. And sometimes those looks that she might give me from across the room make me laugh. Sometimes they strike the fear of God in me. (laughs) But there are these various ways of being together Sometimes we talk, sometimes it's silent, sometimes it's a quick glance, and all of these help us to increase our intimacy with one another. And this is why Carlo Corretto uses the metaphor of love to describe the life of prayer. He writes this way, prayer is like love. Words pour out at first, then we are more silent and can communicate in (laughs) monosyllables. Yes, right? In difficulties, a a gesture is enough, a word, or nothing at all, Love is enough. Thus the time comes when words are superfluous. The soul converses with God with a single loving glance. You see, prayer, as it increases our intimacy with God, will take on different forms in the way that it's expressed in our lives. But the intimacy that is cultivated always comes through communion with God. That communion could be expressed through conversation and talking and other times silence, but all of those things are prayer Nonetheless, so where do we begin in prayer? Where do we begin in communing and being with God? I want to suggest the best place to start is the place Jesus instructs his disciples to start. It's a good thought. When the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray, Jesus offers them a prayer to begin reciting as a way of forming their life of prayer. That prayer is what's known to us as the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is found in its fullest form in Matthew chapter 6. Total side note, extra credit. Did you know the Lord's Prayer is in two places in the Gospels? It's not in all four Gospels, it's in two. One is in Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, and one is in Luke chapter 6, where it looks really different from the one that's in Matthew chapter 6, which is really interesting why they record it differently, but that's for another day. But Matthew chapter 6, Jesus instructs his disciples to pray this way when he says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we, have also, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then the church is tacked on traditionally for that is is the power of the kingdom of glory forever. Amen, right? The Lord's Prayer is traditionally seen as divided into two parts. The first part involves the "you" requests, and the second part involves the "we" requests. The "you" requests are those requests that are directed at God, and the "we" requests are those requests directed for others. And it's important for us to begin our prayers with the three "you" requests of the Lord's Prayer. God, make your name great. God build your kingdom here. God, may your will be done. We often think hallowed be your name is something that we are supposed to do on behalf of God, right? Like God, we are going to make your name great. But proper understanding of the grammar and tradition of this prayer reveals that the prayer is for God himself to make his name great. That is the prayer, if we were to translate it sort of directly from the original language, is God, would you make your name hallowed in the world? And the reason why we ought to begin with these prayers is to form our hearts to yearn for God's name to be held in the highest honor, not our own. To learn to yearn for God's kingdom to come, not our own. To yearn for God's will to be done in our lives, not our own. And it's only when we yearn for these things that we are ready for the second part of the Lord's Prayer. You see, so for many of us, when we begin to think about a life of prayer and being a praying people, we always start with ourselves, right? God, here are all the things that I want you to do. This is the situation at work that I want you to handle, This is what's going on in our city. This is what's going on in my family. This is what's going on. And the list goes on and on and on. And all of our prayers are framed around ourselves. And when Jesus' disciples come to him and say, teach us to pray, he says, all right, very beginning, all of our prayers have to be framed around God and the Father and what he wants to do in your life and in the world. And only then can you begin to properly present the we request, the second set of requests in the Lord's Prayer to God. See, the second part of the Lord's Prayer is filled with we, re- we requests. It is the yearning and aching for the good of others. Notice, this is not the me request. This isn't about me, myself, and I. It is about the collective group of us. It is essentially about others. May we have our daily provision. May we be reconciled to God and to others. May we be protected from the snares and traps of sin. This is how we ought to pray. The Lord's Prayer is focused on reforming our hearts to do two things, to yearn for God and yearn for the good of others. just so happens that these are the two greatest commandments according to Jesus. Love God and love others. And they are captured in their essence and in words that we can pray in the Lord's prayer. And as simple as it sounds, this way of praying is the way that our hearts are reordered to love God and love others as primary in our lives and not just love ourselves. Or as Scott McKnight writes, in having those desires reordered, we find ourselves as God made us to be Beings designed to have proper loves. That is love for God and love for others. Praying the Lord's Prayer reminds us, church, that prayer doesn't begin by drawing God into our hearts, asking him to do the things that we want him to do for us, though he certainly cares about these things. Praying the Lord's Prayer is a way of drawing ourselves into the very heart and life of God. When page Uh, was pregnant with Levi, we received some really great advice from a dear friend. She said to us, you need to remember who is moving in with whom. You need to remember who is moving in with whom. That was her way of saying that we don't need to change everything about our way of life to accommodate this new family member that was about to join us, but rather we needed to teach him how to be a part of our family's life the rhythms that we already participate in in our lives. And in the same way, the Lord's Prayer is a way of teaching us how to be a part of God's family. It is the assimilation into the family of God, desiring and longing for the things of God first. And it's only once we've been formed in that kind of prayer that we can begin to pray for things in a more honest way with God. The place to begin in prayer is the place Jesus instructs his disciples to be church, learning to pray the Lord's Prayer. And so I want to encourage you or exhort you to do this. This week, as we go about this series, would you do one simple thing at the start of every day? Would you be willing to pray the Lord's Prayer at the beginning of every day? Just take time and space, maybe just two or three minutes, to recite the Lord's Prayer As we set off in this journey of growing and praying together, I'm committing myself to do these things with you, church. One of the beautiful things about praying in the context of community is that we're all doing it together. We're not just trying to take our own individual effort at it. If you have a regular practice of prayer already, I invite you to begin that time of prayer, reciting the Lord's Prayer. And as we enter into the heart of God in this teaching series together, we might just discover that both on a communal level and as individuals, an increased intimacy with our relationship with him. But we're gonna start here with the Lord's prayer this week. Amen? Let's pray together. God, our longing and desire is intimate relationship with you. It's not to have you do everything that we think you ought to do in the world. And so we want to begin in this place where we just offer ourselves before you, God. And we invite you to reorder and reshape our hearts that they might better reflect your heart. And that in so doing, our character and our lives and our desires and our passions, they would all be shaped and formed by you. God, you have promised that when your people pray, you will listen, that there are no words that are uttered that you do not hear. And so we ask, God, that as, we, as your people, as we begin this teaching series and begin to perhaps implement these new practices of prayer in our own lives, that you would hear them. We're so grateful that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.